All right, good morning, everyone. So good to uh, see you, and uh, I want to welcome you for this uh, special day. So this is Mother's Day, and I I found a a picture this week that kind of captures saying thank you. So we're going to put this up for you, and you can take a look at it. Right? That sound about right? So thank you. All right, I am fairly confident that the, uh, the women in my life are much more of a blessing than the men in my life, okay, in terms of benefit and value. So, uh, yeah, so we're grateful for that. And uh, we want to welcome uh, Julia and LaRue, uh, who are dear friends of ours for 20-some years, so we're grateful to have you guys here. Really grateful. And I, I'll just, I have to do this shout-out to my parents and to my in-laws, okay, because they're uh, both here today sitting towards the back. So, yes, you can thank them because they produced me, okay? <laughs> so my, my parents are 88 years old. My in-laws are 93 years old, so we are so... Uh, blessed with the Christian heritage that God has, uh, has given to us. And uh, so very blessed to have a mom who loves Christ and has uh, been a very consistent witness to his grace in my life. So uh, for all you moms today, just thank you for the blessing that you are to us in ways that are pretty hard to put into words, okay? Uh, if you, just this quick announcement related to Vacation Bible School, which is towards the end of June, all the dates for that are on this piece of paper that you got at the front door. The other thing you'll see is these two funny looking shapes. If you're uh, over 50, you, you may be struggling with why they're on there. If you hold your uh, phone on camera over that spot, uh, it will either bring up registration for volunteer, and you can fill that out there, or registration for your child for Vacation Bible School. Okay, so Christina got this together for us. So uh, just make sure if you're going to volunteer, go to the registration uh, QR code. And then if you're registering your children for Vacation Bible School, you can do it there. If you have neighbors that are interested, you just give that to them, and they can scan that and put in all the data that needs to be entered for that. Okay, so that makes that nice and simple and keeps our announcements in that regard rather short. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we join our hearts to worship our Savior together. So Father, as we come this morning, we have hearts that have great joy because of Christ. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for the blessing of the gospel. Thank you for the privilege that we have to proclaim that news together this morning. And Lord, I pray that you will fill our hearts with your praises this morning. Uh, Lord, that we'll have much focus on moms and on uh, responsibilities and all those things this morning, God. Uh, every, every one of us, I think, in this room has had their life enriched by the presence of their mom. And for that gift, Jesus, we also thank you. We pray that you will energize our hearts to sing your praises this morning. And as we do that, uh, Lord, we may think of those within our church family with unique uh, physical needs right now, with needs for healing. I I see Tim Doria here with us this morning, God, and I thank you for the enormous uh, blessing that Tim has been to my life for 35 years. The first Sunday we came here, 
He was part of what we were doing here, and I thank you for him. I pray that your hand would be healing his back, God, and raising him up and making him strong again. We ask together for that blessing this morning uh, for Diana and Linda as they have walked through longer seasons of rather serious need. Uh, Lord, as, as moms that are such a blessing to their families, we ask that your hand would rest on them, preserve their lives, and even bring healing to them for the glory of Jesus. Father, bless now as we exalt your name and as we sing your praises. By your spirit, open our eyes to the truth we sing and then to the truth that Brother James will proclaim for us this morning. Lord, glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, would you worship? Treasure remains for 
Nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, 
to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Yes, I will for all my days. Yes, I will.
So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Sing. condition had a plan from the start thank you Lord. your son for redemption the price for my heart and I don't have a contest for that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I need you So I run to the Father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend So I run to the Father Again and again and again Father, thank you that despite the shame that we may be feeling in our lives, 
despite the discouragement, despite the struggles. We thank you that through the cross of Christ, we have a place to run and to find acceptance, to find freedom, to find forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning who is battling with shame, been battling with the need to hide, to isolate, to have secrets, I pray, God, today you would allow them to know that through the blood of Christ, all of that can be erased. They can be made clean. They can be forgiven. Lord, I don't know why each person's here today, but you do. You know the need of every heart. And as our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would meet those needs in a very, very uh, just direct and powerful way today. God, deliver people from brokenness. Deliver us from struggles and set us free and make us bold sons and daughters of yours that can be lights to the world around us, Lord. It is so desperately needed today. And so I pray that you will take the truths that we have sung and the truth that we will now hear from your word and you will just enliven it in us for the glory of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated, and you're going to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter 3. The Word of God says this. It says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the Word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as a braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For in this way, the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. May God bless his word this morning. Children, you could be dismissed. Children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And I, uh, I just want to wish a uh, happy Mother's Day to uh, those of you that are moms, um, whether by physical birth or by adoption or by fostering. Um, so I shout out to my wife, who's sitting back there, and, uh, and to my mom as well. Um, happy Mother's Day, and to all of you as well. I was, I was thinking of a woman, though, uh, this morning, who uh, from my former church, uh, we had parsonages, and they had these homes that the church uh, purchased. And she lived across the way from the church, and I think she was like in her 80s or 90s, had no children, but I was one of her children. I can remember her coming in praying for me, how many times, James, I'm praying for you. And in some ways, I think I'm standing here, in essence, not only because of my mom, clearly, 
Um, but people like that that came along in my life that just prayed for me, encouraged me, and uh, she was a huge blessing. No children, but she was a huge blessing. She had a ton of children in doing it that way. So uh, whether you've had children yourself, you can be a mom and a leader in so many ways. The passage I come to this morning is, is an interesting passage. Um, Pastor Tim just read it for us. Uh, thank him for doing so. You ever find yourself coming to a passage of scripture that is one that you kind of want to go over? Around, you know, our church, we, uh, Tim, Doug, and I believe we teach through books, verse by verse. And um, Doug and I were just talking about a passage that I'll have in several weeks um, that uh, is just laid out, and God in his sovereignty has laid that passage before us. So each time we get up here, it's not what we've envisioned, it's what God has laid out for us that we are called to preach. And so uh, this passage on women um, is going to be countercultural. It's going to be radically, you just heard it as Tim read it, there's Sometimes you read passages of scripture and there is something within you that just says, no, <laughs> there must be something wrong with this. This is, this is wrong. This is off course. Um, and I wonder if at times when we come to the word, does it not expose the inner struggles that we have? You know, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter four, it says this. Uh, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, and all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so scripture does that. What scripture does is it exposes the struggles that are within us, and it points us and encourages us to the solution that is found in Christ. So I want you to consider that as we go through this passage, and you go through any passage, if you find yourself struggling, think about it this way, that the book is right, something within me is wrong, okay? Can we just work with that principle? This book is right, I'm off, and so I need to get myself in alignment to it. Uh, do you remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture is what? God breathed or breathed out by God, inspired, and is profitable for four things, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so what, what the word does is it does four things. It teaches you truth, it tells you where you're off base, it then tells you how to get right, and then it tells you how to grow in grace so that you can grow to become more mature in Christ. And so I want you to consider that as we look at this passage as well. One other thing before I uh, jump into the passage is this. When we teach passages, we, we observe the passage, what does it say, we try to interpret what does it mean, and then we try to apply it. How can you take away principles from this? So that's basically how you go through Bible study, preaching, whatever it may be. I, I tend to use an acrostic. It was given to me by um, Ken Sandy, and it's this acrostic. It's called Reed, R-E-A-D. I love acrostics. Um, and the acrostic starts this way. R is recognize the struggle, R. E is to evaluate the source. Where's it coming from? 
R, recognize the struggle. E, evaluate the source. Where's it coming from? A is to anticipate the consequences. That if I go down this path, what are the consequences? And then D is how I direct myself in God-honoring ways. So as I, as I tackle this passage today, uh, I'm going to tackle it from those four lay, ways. What's the struggle? What, are, what is the reason? What's the source of this? Two. Uh, what are the consequences? Three. And then what is God directing me to do and you to do? Four. And there are three particular struggles that I think we're here in this passage for women, particularly wives in particular. I say women in general, women, uh, wives in particular. And there were three things. The desire to control or the struggle with control, the struggle with vanity, and the struggle with fear. Those are the three things that I think that Peter is getting at here. The, the desire to control, the struggle with vanity, the things external, and then the struggle with fear. And I think what he's going to do is he's going to lay out for you where this is all coming from, what's happening within, and how you can live in a God-honoring way. So as I try to tackle that, we'll ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray here. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The psalmist said it's more to be desired than gold, than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Your, your word is such a huge blessing. It teaches us truth. It exposes error. It corrects us. It helps us to get right and it helps us to stay right. Lord, this is such a blessed book. Forty plus authors maybe 1,500 years, I mean, 66 books, Lord. It's an amazing tool that you've given us. As we challenged the men last week to be a student of your word, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a student of your word today and help us to live, even when it's countercultural, by your word, filled by your spirit, glorifying your son, reflecting you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's uh, get started. Um, three principles or three struggles that I think women struggle with um, that I think are challenged in this passage. The first one is the struggle with control. Look here in verses 1 and 2 of uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, one and two, um, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, likewise. So remember, we're keeping in that same context, the same context of submission. He was talking about submitting to civil authorities. He was talking about submitting in your employment. And then he gave us the absolute model of submission, Jesus Christ, who was co-equal with the Father in every way, but he submitted himself to a, the Father's plan. He put himself under the Father's plan. He also put himself under the law that he created. He submitted himself to earthly parents. Jesus Christ's life was a full of submission, even submitting himself to the point of death on the cross. And so he submitted himself day after day, time after time, and we are called to do the same. Likewise, likewise wives, be subject to your own husband, so that even if some do not believe the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. 
So he starts by saying, you need to submit to your husbands. And I, we were talking last week, and I know Pastor Doug dealt with it the week prior, that submission is one of those words that is a, is a major struggle for so many people. So many people struggle with this word. But there's a beauty in submission, that, that as God has laid out his authority, that he is the sovereign one, and he's laid out authority structures underneath that provide order and protection for people that are underneath them. And that when we submit ourselves to God, we are putting ourselves under his mission, under his purpose, under his viewpoint for our lives. And far too often, I can look at my own life, far too often that the struggles that I've had personally and relationally are because I have chosen to go outside of God's structure and outside of God's sovereign plan for my life. We talked all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the beauty of the Garden of Eden and the relationship between that husband and the wife, the relationship between those people and nature and that relationship between those people and their God, it was intimate and connected. And when they were listening to the counsel of God, when they were following his word and listening to his counsel, guess what happened? There was peace and there was harmony and there was joy until another counselor came in. Another counselor got their ear, another counselor got their mind, and they followed his counsel. And in Genesis chapter three, we have this new counselor that comes in, and he gets you to doubt the word of God, and doubt the goodness of God, and doubt the authority of God, and all of the struggles, and all of the difficulties, and all the trials, and all the troubles, and all the pain in this world is a byproduct of Genesis chapter three. And if you remember in Genesis 3, what ended up happening is this. They saw something. They locked their eyes on something. And then they desired this thing in their heart. And then they went and took it. And as soon as they saw that fruit and desired in their heart and they took it, it brought about all the chaos, all the confusion, all the corruption that we have in this world today. All of it. And these two people who were naked and unashamed, there was nothing that was separating them, have now been separated. And now they're covering themselves up from each other. Shame has led them to cover up. Fear has caused them to run and hide from God. And guilt that they feel right now, depressing guilt, has caused them to blame not only each other horizontally, but blame God vertically. And they failed to submit to God, and that was the problem. Now that seed of that sin that started in Genesis 3 has now fed into every relationship, every struggle that you have has come down to doubting God's word, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's authority, seeing something, desiring something, taking something, shame, fear, guilt, covering up, running and hiding. All of the struggles we have come down to Genesis chapter 3. I bring every client that I work with, every person I work with to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because it's the beginning of the story. It's the, it's the foundation. What happened in Genesis 3? I want to control. I don't want to submit to your authority, God. I don't believe that your way is best. Well, that's exactly what a wife is tempted to do. And it's not just women, it's men as well. And what's radical here is this. The thought today would be that you win your husband by nagging. You win your husband by control. You win your husband by manipulation. That's not what scripture says. You win your husband by your life. 
I, I give up control. I place myself under your leadership. Now clearly scripture says that you don't put yourself under leadership that is going to take you and do something that's sinful. You don't follow that leader who's telling you to sin. So if your husband is telling you to sin, whether he's a believer or not, you're called not to do that. But there are plenty of ways that a wife can say that I'm going to follow your lead. I may not completely agree with it. My wife has done that five billion times in our marriage. And I've been probably wrong most of those times. But there is something about a submissive attitude. And what he says here is that the objective here is to win your husband. And to win him for what? He apparently is not a believer. It says that even though some do not obey the word, and what, what that may mean, I'm not completely sure, I think it means that this person is not a believer. That this person is never trusted in the word and he is disobeying the word. If, on the other hand, this person is a believer and he's rejecting the word, it could be the same thing. So you, you have a Christian husband who's going down the wrong path. Can I still submit to him? Can I follow his leadership? Or this person's not a believer. Can I still show levels of submission to him? And am I going to bring him to the cross and bring him to Christ through the words that I see, say, or the control in my life, or the manipulation of my life, or the manipulation of him? Or will he do it by something that he sees externally in me? The struggle with control happens because what we do is we just word after word after word. Now, I was joking last week that there's six verses for women and one verse for men. And I said, I didn't write it, okay? But I almost wonder, because women speak a lot and men don't. I wonder if those words, those constant words those notes that we keep throwing. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing all these things that he hears. It's not drawing him to Christ. Maybe it's just exposing the fact that he just, I don't like it. And what he says here, Peter's argument here is this. Instead of nagging, instead of trying to control with your words, that you win this person by your behavior. You win him. The evangelistic things that you do are not primarily about speaking your faith always, it's also about living your faith. See, that's the issue. It's not saying that people are not drawn to Christ through words. They need to be drawn to Christ. They would, we need to hear, hear the word and then you trust in the word. But there is something about a woman that is showing in her life and her behavior, her real adornment about what's happening within that radically changes this man. And so there is something within us that also has this natural desire to control things and to manipulate and to make it our way. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so the source of why we control is because I want to be in charge. I want to be king or queen. That's the source of it. It happens within. I don't want to submit to an external authority. I want to run it myself. But the problem is the consequences are when I try to control or a woman tries to control or manipulate her husband, what will it lead to? It will lead to marital conflicts oftentimes. It will lead to breakdowns in communication. It will lead to distrust. It may even lead to resentment. He doesn't want to deal with it any longer. And he shuts down. And the desire that I really desire to bring him to Christ, he is now being repelled because of the external behaviors. So what does God say in, in essence? He says, I want you to submit as best as you possibly can. 
I want you to show this adornment. Like Jesus Christ submitted himself to earthly parents for 30 plus years. Jesus Christ submitted himself to a law. Jesus Christ submitted himself to a bloody cross. Jesus Christ suffered and died for you. Are you willing to have that same kind of heartbeat? Then I'm going to put myself under this leadership, even if it's painful at times, so that I may plant seeds of gospel grace in this person's life. So what's the direction? You remember in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to yourself to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and his body and himself is the Savior. This husband may not be representing Christ to you, but that doesn't mean that you can't represent Christ to him. And so as you're, as you're living this dynamic, there's, there's oftentimes a dynamic coming out of Genesis 3, this power dynamic. I'm in control, no, you're in control, and back and forth, back and forth. If you yield and trust God, let God be the one that is going to do a work out of your life. So the, the, the first thing I think he is challenging us is the struggle with control and manipulation. He says, it's coming from within you. That's the source. The consequences is going to lead to greater breakdowns. And the guidance he gives is submit. Submit yourself to God and submit yourself to this spouse. But there's a second thing that I think he says is another struggle that women have is found in verses 3 through 4. Look, let's look at verses 3 through 4. And it's the struggle with vanity, external things. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, if you go back to the, past, the verse just before, it says that he sees your respectful and pure conduct. So he's observing something. He's seeing something in your life. And now he's seeing that, or he could be seeing you externally. And uh, what Peter's getting at here is this. And the culture, the culture outside is telling you that you need to be beautiful on the outside, and that's what's most important. It's a lie. The culture is telling you that your value comes from what is on the outside, and it's another lie. And the problem is, is that he uses those lies, and people believe it often. And so when you are starting to fade, as all of us are, and you start to wrinkle, as all of us do, and you start to lose hair or your hair goes gray, you start thinking in your mind, I have lost value. I am not as important. It's a lie, right from the pit of hell. And so what do we do? We, we spend our lives trying to make ourselves beautiful over and over. I have seen people, and you see it online, people that have gone through plastic surgery after plastic surgery after plastic surgery so that now they don't even look human any longer. And, it, and there's a laughter, but there's a sadness that somebody would put themselves under that kind of pain over and over and over, thinking that they change themselves externally that makes them valuable internally, and it doesn't. And what Peter's argument, greater than that, the Holy Spirit's argument is this, let your adorning, let it be external, not the externals, I'm sorry. It's about the inner person. So not that you shouldn't dress up. Some of you, I mean, you all look beautiful out here today. 
But that's not that we shouldn't dress up or braid your hair or put on makeup. You can do that. Don't let that be your value. Don't think that if I don't do this, that I've lost value. The sad thing is that so many people today believe that that outer adornment, the dressing up, the looking attractive, gives them their value, and it's a a fallacy. And so many men, sad to say, are driven by externals. And God forbid we give our wives the sense that what they look like on the outside determines their value to us. God forbid. And I think that's why the pornography industry is heavy in our society today, because people see things. But then you lose value. The beauty that God wants for every woman in this room, wife or not, is the inner beauty of the heart. See, that's lasting. See, when the wrinkles come and the gray hair comes and the skin starts to sag, your inner beauty radically changes everything. And that husband that could see that beautiful wife that God has given him sees a valuable resource, a valuable gift. It's kind of like that Stradivarius I was talking to you about last week. You can either look at that as a piece of junk or you can look at that as valuable, an amazing gift, an infinite gift, a wonderful gift that God has given you. But so many women believe the lie of vanity because men have propagated that lie of vanity and we as husbands need to help our wives see that this is just not true. The societal pressure leads to external focus on beauty over and over and over again. But this is the problem. What happens is this. It leads to worshiping the externals. It leads to, it leads to this desire for attention, this desire for appeal, this desire to be attractive. And over and over again, you will find it will fade It will pass away. It's slipping right through your hands because you can't stop the fact the second law of thermodynamics, we're all breaking down. (laughs) It's, It's happening. And you're trying to cling to something that's fading away, and that's the consequence. And what happens is you see it, and you look in the mirror, and you're discontented, and you're dissatisfied, and you wonder whether your husband doesn't see value in you because you don't like what you see internally, externally. God's way is this, adorn yourself internally. Let God do an amazing work in you and the beauty, the hidden beauty of what's happening inside of you and that comes out of you. And what does he say? He gives you you examples. He says, the incorruptible qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's the greatest value in the sight of God. What better thing would it be for your true father and your true husband to look at you and say, you're beautiful in my sight? Well, the father in heaven says that to a woman that is working on her internals, not the externals. Don't let the jewelry, don't let the fine clothes, don't let the hairstyle complete you. Stop nagging, stop shouting, stop all the other things just be gentle. Gentle with your words, gentle in your approach, and quiet. Doesn't mean you can't speak. My wife has spoken profound words to me over the 30 plus years that we've been together. But there is something about that inner beauty that radically changes. So the societal pressure outside of you says it's about what's happening around you, nope. Or what's happening outside of you, no. 
It's about what's happening within you. And when you don't yield to that, when you give into that, the consequences, it will distract you from what true beauty is. And you will start to idolize external experiences and you will be discouraged because it will fade. And then Peter says this, he says, the godly direction, I want you to cultivate the human, I'm sorry, the hidden person of the heart. That's imperishable beauty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I love this passage, verse 16 and through 18. It's a passage that if you don't know it, you probably should memorize it. It says, so we do not lose heart. The what? Our outward self is what? Waiting, wasting away or fading away. But the inner self is being what? Renewed day by day. And then he compares. He says, the light momentary affliction is a preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are what? Eternal. See, this is breaking down. The hair is fading. The gray hair is coming in. The weakness on the top. Um, my body does not feel the same. I go up against my son every day, and it's like, oh my, I used to feel like that. I don't feel like that anymore. But God is doing something internally, hopefully in my heart and in your heart. First struggle a woman has is control. Second struggle a woman has, and the answer to that is submit, trust God. The second struggle that women have is vanity. And God's answer is this, don't worry about the externals, focus primarily on the internals. The third struggle that women have is fear. Look in verse three, uh, five and six. For this is how holy women who had hoped in God used to adorn themselves. And that is what they would do by submitting to their own husbands. Let me stop there for a second because I missed it the first time. Their own husbands. The submission that God is calling wives to do is not to every husband, every man that's here. They're called to submit themselves to their own husband. And so their own husband is the one that they're called to submit to. And Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Just men, I, I submit to you. You're my leader, okay? And you are her children. So every woman in this room is a child of Sarah. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So now Peter is emphasizing the fact that the behavior of the sort is advocating something that seems very impossible. That this man who is rigid in his denial of Christ is going to see something radically different in your life. And as you adorn yourself for inside versus outside that God starts to change him because he sees something different in you and that you don't have to give in to fear any longer. Now there was fear in this culture. Women today have so many more rights than women in this culture. In fact, the woman in this culture was considered just a little bit above property. She wasn't educated. She wasn't given the rights. She wasn't given rights to be able to speak out. She clearly would find herself fearful. And in this culture that they're growing up in, in fact, a man's religion became the primary religion of the family. And I think what Peter's arguing here is this, that there are some women who have trusted in Christ, but now they have a godless husband. How do you show yourself submissive and not controlling? How do you show yourself truly beautiful internally and not externally like the world is doing? And then how do you 
trust God and fear him rather than fearing things that are happening around. And so what he says is that they beautified themselves because they put their hope in Christ. They put their hope in God. Their hope was in God. And they were holy women, holy, set apart by God, set apart positionally in Christ. But now they've been set apart because they are trusting in him and following him. And he says, is this a new thing? Is this a Peter thing? No, it's not a Peter thing. It's not a new thing. It goes all the way back to Sarah. Sarah put herself under the leadership of Abram. And Abram was a mess at times. He put himself in another, he put his wife in another person's home on two occasions at least that we know of to protect himself. He wasn't a nice guy at times. But Sarah, trusting his leadership, followed his path. And God did something amazing in him and in her. And he, he says here, here's, here's the um, ending point. You will be like her children. It's a Hebrew phrase, like her. By doing what is good and fearing no intimidation in essence. What does he say? He says, do good. Do what God requires of you and then cease. What? Cease fearing all these other things. That, that God wants to do something in you radically and that he can do something radically through you. I find, interestingly enough, that especially when we're talking about the men and the women here, that submission is not passive. We tend to think of submission that I'm giving up. That's not it. You will see that she is extremely active. She is pursuing her husband by the things that she does internally. It's active. And she's hearing this word from God, and then she's trying to transform it, her life, over and over again. The submission is not a tactic. It's this internal right attitude that's changing in her. It's not a gimmick to try to win her husband. It is truth that is in her that comes out of her. It's the fruit of the repentance that God has laid upon in her life. She wins her husband not with mighty words. She wins her husband not with trying to attract him externally. She wins her husband by what's happening within her. So women, the world wants to tell you that control and manipulation are the way that you will find peace. They're lying. The world wants to tell you that it's about your external appearance and vanity. That's where you're going to find your greatest happiness. They're lying. How many Hollywood stars do you see that have gone from surgery after surgery after surgery? What do they look like? They may look nice externally, sometimes they don't. But their lives are a mess. Their relationships are a mess. One marriage after another marriage after another marriage after another marriage. And what the lie is is that we think, oh wow, he's dating her. We have, we have been discipled by the world and God wants you to be discipled by the word. So, vanity. And the last one is fear. The consequence of fear is it leads to mistrust, it leads to a lack of intimacy in your marriage, and you could find yourself constantly uh, fearing this person. And what God is saying is this, I know you're in a vulnerable position. I know that it feels uncomfortable. I know it's hard to put yourself under someone else's leadership, but trust me that I will take you through this. Wives should not fear anything that is frightening, but instead trust God's protection and care for her and submit to the husband as expressed hope in God. Now, what would happen if you take what we talked about last week and you take what we talked about this week and put those two people together? 
that a man who instead of running away from his wife, lives with his wife, stays. Too many men take off and leave their wives and their kids. The principle in there was stay, live with her. Too many men value everything but their wives. The principle from last week was what? Value her like she is this fine gift. Too many men spend time looking at stock reports rather than studying the word and studying their wives. What would happen if you started to study your wife and study the word? What would study the word? What would God do in your life? And what would happen if you prayed with your wife and for your wife and become a spiritual leader in that home? See, that man now becomes a, wom- a, a man that that woman could say, I will submit to you joyfully. I don't have to worry about you valuing me because you honor me like more than anything. And that I don't have to fear that kind of leadership. That kind of leadership is easy to follow. See, if you got those men and those women together, our lives and our marriages look radically different to the world. And the world's lies will be exposed for what they truly are. Lies. sad thing is that there are too many believers today that are being counseled by the world. Believing the lies of Satan, believing the lies of this world, believing the lies of their own flesh. Now, as I say this, in the last two weeks, there's a lot of things that I've been challenging to do, so I'll close with this. None of us do this perfectly. And for some of us, as I talked about the men last week and as I talked about the wives this week, I bet you some of you sat there and said, I don't do that. I haven't done that. I didn't do that. And it could be very um, guilt-producing. It could lead to exposing the sin, kind of what the word does. But there's an aspect of the word that is law and gospel. The law is there to expose the struggle and the error of our heart, but then there's the gospel that comes in to free you. We're going to celebrate that here in a moment, the Lord's table. That What Jesus Christ did is this. You can't be that kind of husband constantly, James. You're going to fail more often than not, James. Amy, you can't be that wife consistently, all the time. More often than not, you're going to fail, but God in Christ wants to tell you two things. I have forgiven you, and I've set you free. And so the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is this. I failed so many times, but now because of God's grace, I am forgiven, and he is progressively setting me free. That's what we believe. We believe that God is progressively changing you. I should be a better husband today than I was 30 years ago. I should be a better father than I was 27 years ago. So we should be growing in grace, but I don't want you to hear this as choking in the fact that I can't do it. God can do amazing and powerful and impossible things through you. He can transform you. He can change you. And then we give all the glory to God because I am the different husband today because of Christ. My wife is a different wife today because of Christ. You can be that as well. If you come to the Father and come to the cross and thank him, for his mercy, acknowledge your sin, 
radically plead for his grace and then ask him to change you from the inside out. And guess what he promises? If you confess your sins, what will he do? He is faithful and just to what? Forgive you of all your sins and to do what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He wants you to be a light in the midst of the darkness. He wants you to be salt in a tasteless world. He wants you to reflect him. Let's do that today. So Father, we praise you and we thank you. Father, whether it's the struggle with control that so many of us struggle with and manipulation, Father, help us to be understanding that the solution is submission. Father, maybe the struggle is vanity for some of us. We, we look externally and help us to know that the solution is not the external appearance, but the internal appearance of a heart, what's going on internally. Maybe some of us struggle with fear, dominated by fear. What's the answer, Lord? To trust you and to obey you and to follow your lead. Maybe there's some men here that struggle with just running away, Father, and they need to hear, I need to live with you. Maybe some of them have used words of temptation. I'm leaving you. I'm done with you. Lord, please forgive us for ever saying those kind of things to our spouse. Maybe there's some of us here that have not spent enough time in your word or studying our spouse, Lord, studying studying our wives. I pray that you'd help us to be committed to being a student of our wives and and your word. Maybe, Lord, there are some of us that have not valued the precious gift that you've given us in our wives. Lord, please forgive us for that. And Lord, maybe there's some of us in this room that have struggled with taking spiritual leadership and praying with and for our wives. Lord, I pray today would be something different. So Lord, as we, as we hear this, I pray that we would run to your son for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And then we pray that he would do a work in us. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Help us to worship him today in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we um, come to the uh, communion table, the communion table is this um, ordinance of our church. God has laid out two ordinances. One, we celebrated just several weeks ago, and we will do again, I think, first of July, uh, the 4th of July, I think, uh, June, I'm sorry, um, is baptism, where somebody goes into the waters of baptism. As you're symbolizing that, you go into the water, you're symbolizing Christ's death, and you come out of the water, you symbolize his new life and his resurrection. Well, one of the other ordinances that God gives us is what we're taking today, the cup and the bread. It shows forth Christ's death by the fact that it's his broken body and shed blood. Now, there are some religions that teach that Christ is being crucified here. We do not believe that. Jesus Christ was crucified once for sinners. When he died and he said it is finished, he was not going to be re-crucified again. But I will say that when we take this bread and take this cup, there is something more than just physical nourishment that God wants to do something spiritually within you. So as, you, as the leaders come and hand out these elements, what I'm going to ask you to do is to take some time to pray. I'm going to ask you to think about the areas of your life that need to be exposed. 
And then I want you to run to the solution, the only solution that is found in Christ, his shed blood, his broken body, but more than that, his empty tomb. We fellowship together. You don't take this communion table on your own. You take it together in a community because we are, it's a family meal. And we worship together. We honor him together. We praise him together. So we'll call the men up front to serve you today.
Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Stand and sing our closing song. I worship you. 
Lord, um, Lord, thank you for the gift uh, of life. Lord, thank you for the miracle 
that, uh, that happens inside the womb, Lord, where you knit us together. You have knit every single one of us together in a woman. Father, I pray that every mom here um, would feel uh, just overwhelmed with, uh, with love from their children, Father, and their husbands. Um, Lord, let, us know, uh, let them know that we, they have our uh, just support and our love. Lord, that their value is not in materialism, physical things, clothing, jewelry, makeup, Lord. Uh, Lord, that uh, even in moments where they feel defeated sometimes, I know that my wife certainly does, just feels like she's failed it as a mom. Lord, give them just the boost that they need to get through that day and the day after. Lord, uh, I pray that we as husbands would also be there to just gently remind them that it's, it's, you're doing the best you can. Love them through it, Lord. Lord, you love us through it. You've loved us through so much. And Father, again, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just bless every mom here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.